Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Geo Speaks podcast today. My name is Chris Estelio. My name is Micah Bellevue. Colin Spencer. And my name is Brady Tufts. We are all freshmen at Mashby High School in the AP Human Geography class. Today, we are joined by Doug Carson from the U.S. Air Force. He works at Otis Air Base at Joint Base Cape Cod. Where do you work and what position do you have there? I work for the United States Air Force, specifically the Air Force Civil Engineer Center, which is headquartered in San Antonio, Texas, and we have a location here on the base, Joint Base Cape Cod. And my position is community involvement lead, so I deal with the community, uh, residents, uh, boards of health, uh, selectmen, the news media, anybody that has an interest in what's going on out here at the base in terms of the environmental cleanup, I uh, have a role in dealing with them. That's cool. Um, When did you join the program? I've actually been working on Joint Base Cape Cod for just over 34 years, Uh, most of that time involved with the environmental cleanup work that the Air Force is currently doing. Uh, It's been a very uh, interesting project, I must say, over the years. What kind of work is that? Like, what would your day-to-day look like? Over the last few years, most of my time has been spent on something called emerging contaminants. So those are chemicals that are used uh, in society um, in all various types of products that uh, they have found to be potentially harmful to the human body. And because of that, uh, about five or six years ago, the Air Force directed our program to start looking at those things. And because of that, we have numerous private wells off base that have been affected, a couple of municipal wells. Uh, We're in the process of trying to identify any private wells that are located off base that might be exposed to contamination related to these chemicals that we're now looking for. And basically I am responsible for contacting all those property owners and we're talking about hundreds of property owners. So how much progress have you guys made since you started looking at all this? The program began in 1982, and at that time it was very small, just for about 3,000 of the 20,000 acres out here on the base. That was for the Air National Guard part of the base, and then a couple years later it was expanded to the entire 20,000 acres out here. And since then, uh, the Air National Guard and the Air Force have spent over 700 million dollars to investigate and clean up both soil and groundwater contamination. A lot of progress has been made on both of those fronts. A lot of sites have been cleaned up. Uh, A lot of the groundwater plumes, as they're called, the areas of groundwater pollution have been cleaned up and the others we continue to treat on a daily basis of about 10 million gallons per day. But really, our focus over the last five years has been with the emerging contaminants, specifically related to firefighting foam that's been used on the base and off the base. And, you know, what, you know, what we have to do to protect public health, which is our number one priority. And you see this problem ending anytime soon, or will this be an ongoing thing for a while? The challenge is still great. You know, 10 years ago, we made an announcement at a public uh, forum where we dedicated a couple of our wind turbines, which is helping to pay the cost of what we're doing out here. But at that session, we announced that all 
decisions had been made for our program and all remedies in place. And since then, we're now getting back into a very robust investigation program uh, with potential cleanup or remediation, as they call it, down the road. So we've been investigating uh, this new stuff for the last three years, uh, both on-base and off-base, dealing with homeowners, dealing here on the base, trying to find the source areas, trying to find what's off-base. And, you know, there's still a lot more work that has to be done over the next five years. We have to fully uh, investigate and identify where all this stuff is and then come up with a decision uh, that also involves, you know, the community in making that decision about what's best for these different areas in terms of cleanup. Yeah, um, it sounds like you've made a lot of progress, but what are some challenges you've faced? Uh, funding is a challenge from year to year, but we've been very fortunate uh, here at this base. We have in the past had a lot of political interest, which in a way has been very beneficial to our program, getting the funds that it needs. You know, historically, other bases in the country have not been as fortunate as us. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the type of, you know, residents that we have around the base in the four towns and here on Cape Cod. Uh, people are concerned about their environment. It's a beautiful place to be. We have a sole source drinking water aquifer that we all get our water from. And when you start reading newspaper articles in the paper that say, hey, this is contaminated, you know, people start wondering what's going on, what are you going to do about it? So it's a, it's a big challenge that, we, you know, we're still facing here today. But our goal, you know, throughout all of this is to make sure that people have the information that they need to, you know, to, to make informed decisions. And what was the um, original discovery or incident that kind of brought this whole project together? It was back in the late 1970s when the United States Geological Survey was doing some work out in the Ashima Valley area of Falmouth, and they had uh, taken some water out of one of the production wells that the town operated, and it was foaming as it was coming out of the water, and it's not supposed to do that. And over the next couple of years, they traced back nitrates and eventually solvents that were found in the groundwater back to the bases uh, wastewater treatment plant and across the street is an old firefighter training area that was used for many, many years out here in the base. So chemicals got in the ground, got in the groundwater, and eventually made its way down further south uh, to one of the production wells. And that's when all that kind of started. And then the program here in the base started in 1982, was expanded in 86, and was still going strong uh, today, you know, with an annual budget for everything that we're doing of about $6 million a year. And how do you clean the water? How do you start, uh, yeah, how do you start that process? Yeah, the technology that we're using for the most part is just pump it. It's called pump and treat, where you put a pipe in the ground, you hook up a pump, and you, you pull the water out of the ground that has a contamination in it, and you run it through granular activated carbon, same thing you would find in a fish tank filter or a Brita water filter at home. Uh, what happens is the chemicals, whether they be solvents or fuels, they stick to the surface of the carbon. It's a process called adsorption, that's with a P. And once the carbon is saturated with the contaminants, then we change it out in these large vessels that we have, both on-base and off-base, that are purifying the water to the tune of about 10 million gallons a day today. That's not the highest rate we've ever had uh, back about 10 years ago. 
we were pumping 17 to 18 million gallons per day. So over time, what happens is the plumes slowly collapse, the levels in them reduce, and eventually they'll go away. And we've seen that happen on several of our areas of groundwater pollution. Has the equipment you've used changed a lot in the years you've been working there? The technology to do the testing really hasn't in terms of the physical equipment, you know, to gather soil samples, to gather groundwater samples. Uh, the treatment of the contaminants are pretty much the same. You excavate the soils, you can treat them thermally, or you can put them in a certified landfill, or they can be put into an asphalt you know, mixture, depending what the contaminants are. The groundwater is, has been treated for decades with carbon you know, in the world, all over the world. So those technologies have stayed the same. What has changed in the last 15 years is uh, how you can test different types of chemicals uh, down to a very low level. What, are you still there? Yep. Sorry. Okay. See, I was hearing noises. <laughs> Do you, did you want me to start again? Or? No, you're good. Okay. So basically, we're looking at chemicals now at levels that we could not detect uh, to those levels 15 years ago. Even five years ago, technology has advanced so so quickly. And because of that, you know, we're able to study these things and potential effects on human, you know, human population uh, and animal studies, and now they're identifying new contaminants, and we call those emerging contaminants. These are things that have happened recently. Recently, in the last few years, we've become an issue uh, for public health concerns, and we've been tasked to investigate that. So to give you an example, when I first started out here, you know, 30 years ago, the technology, you know, was, I would call it primitive compared to what we have today. Um, you know, the levels that we could detect down to were orders of magnitude higher than what we have now. Uh, we've just, we've gone from parts per million to parts per billion to parts per trillion that we can test down to. And because of that, and what we know about science and effects on the human body and animals, some of these chemicals are now deemed hazardous. So we have to act on that. And, and in addition to that, uh, a policy is, is developed either by the federal agencies like the Environmental Protection Agency that is what we're operating under right now. Uh, but the state also has policies and numbers that they put on different chemicals and they're going through a process right now which could seriously affect our program in terms of how we respond because they're coming out with a number that's a lot lower than what we're using for baseline for cleanup for these different uh, firefighting foam chemicals that I've been talking about. Uh, has there been any problems with the machines that clean the water? We've had uh, some issues over the years. Uh, we had a groundwater treatment plant in Mashby that uh, basically caught fire and, and burned to the ground except for the carbon vessels that were inside of it. Um, there was an electrical problem in the plant, later found out. We also had a large trailer, uh, office trailer here on the base um, that, you know, caught fire and burned to the ground. We've had lightning strikes uh, directly on some of our plants and, and along, you know, power lines that have, you know, shut down our plants for, you know, hours or even days at a time because of issues and problems associated with the lightning strike. Um, but we haven't had any issues with, you know, breaks in pipelines. You know, occasionally we'll have a, a pump fail in one of the wells and we'll have to cut it, you know, shut up the system, go out and, and remove the pump. Um, the carbon works very effectively. We're not having to change that out a lot. Um, 
it, it lasts quite a while. But you know, the systems systems are pretty pretty uh, dependable. So as the technology has been improving, um, does it become more costly? Do you need to like spend more on your equipment? Well, the more the more you are tasked to look at and to take action on to protect public health, the, the more it's going to cost. You know, ten years ago we were saying that we're pretty much done. We're just in caretaker status, operating the groundwater treatment systems. And then five years after that, we're tasked by the Air Force to start looking at these new chemicals that potentially are harmful to the human body. And all of a sudden, we go from spending a million dollars a year or two million dollars a year to six million dollars a year or more uh, because we're looking at all these different new areas where firefighting foams were used both on base and off base and the chemicals that were in them that are now deemed not, not good for the human body. Um, so we're having, having that big challenge right now. And do you think you're getting enough funding? We've been very fortunate uh, in getting our funding. We, we program three years ahead. Um, obviously, there's things that are going to come up along the way that you may need more money. Um, and we've gone back and asked for more money. And we've usually received what we've needed. Um, maybe a few times we've had to prioritize a little bit and shift things around, you know, based on what our needs are to get, you know, the best, best work done that can be protective of public health, but for the most part, everything everything we've sought has been funded, uh, and we continue to work uh, and hope for that. And what do you think makes this issue in particular so important? Well, the issue is certainly, you know, about drinking water. Um, you know, it's here on Cape Cod, we get our water out of one big uh, area underground, uh, it's called the Soul Source Aquifer, and we... We draw our water out of that, all four towns in the Upper Cape, all the way down to uh, Dennis. It's called the Sagmore Lens, and then there are smaller lenses of fresh water as you head further down Cape. And, you know, if that were totally contaminated, then that'd be a serious issue here on Cape Cod. So, you know, we're, we're, try, we're trying to manage a problem, trying to clean it up, uh, you know, as, as most cost-effectively as we can, but also as, as quickly as we can, at the same time making sure that no one is exposed to this. We do know that there were exposures in the past, um, but you know, more recently in the last 10, 15 years, you know, through the work that we've done to identify properties, we've eliminated those potential exposures to these various contaminants in the groundwater. Uh, 10 years from now, what are some of your goals or things that you hope will happen? Well, I would expect uh, about five years from now, you know, we'll be at that position again to say all remedies uh, are in place. We've made all the decisions. We've, we've decided on on uh, what we're going to do, and you know, we've, we're, we have constructed or are in the process of constructing. That's what I expect in about five years. You know, ten years from now, I, I would expect uh, just basic operations and maintenance. But we don't know what's coming down the road, and um, are there going to be additional uh, chemicals and? you know, that were used out here at the base uh, that we'll have to look at. We don't know. We don't know right now. It, it all depends on technology and testing and what the, uh, you know, the public health agencies and the regulatory agencies, uh, you know, dictate. And uh, we, we take their lead, you know, and we get the funding from uh, from the Air Force and we do the work that has to be done to protect public health. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Carson. That was Yes, thank you. It seems that you've done a lot of good and we're 
um, glad to see that that's going to continue. So. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, if you have any other questions, just uh, let me know. Thank right. you. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye. We would like to thank Doug Carson for joining us in our episode of the GeoSpeaks podcast and talking about the ongoing water crisis across Cape Cod. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our GeoSpeaks podcast on the water crisis of Cape Cod. I'm Brady Tufts. I'm Colin Spencer. I'm Micah Bellevue. I'm Chris Castillo. And remember, geography is everything and everything is geography.